Well, uh, today is a special day, and uh, it's not just because it's the third week of Stewardship Month, it's also because tonight is our stewardship celebration. And so, in case you weren't watching the calendar, it's the 17th, and it is time to party, all right? And, uh, and party in the name of Jesus. So we're going to be gathering together tonight at 5.30 here in this building uh, to have a big Thanksgiving dinner, essentially, of just a time of, of worship, a time of fellowship over food together with brothers and sisters in Christ. And the goal here is to reflect on all that God has done over the past year. The idea is that we can just celebrate, we can look back, we can say, man, look at what God has done and, and how good he is, how worthy of praise he is. He is faithful. And then we also say, well, we've got another year ahead of us, God willing, and how might he be working and, and calling us to grow in the next steps of faithfulness over this coming year? And so it'll be a time, I hope, of just iron sharpening iron. I've heard we have a little over 150 people coming tonight, so um, it's going to be a fun time. Uh, so please come ready to love a brother or love a sister in Christ. Uh, again, the twin kind of emphases for the evening are passionate worship and compelling community, which are two of our six pillars. So I want to have you come back ready to love others. So pray, come back with the right heart. If you're on the introvert side of things, make sure you get some rest, you know, this afternoon. So that way when you come back in, uh, you're ready to love. And extroverts, let's be ready to love others too. So that is our call as Christians, is to love one another as we love God. Well, today we're going to be continuing our study through Proverbs, uh, the pursuit of wisdom, as we trace the theme of being a good steward of your work ethic. So I'm going to have our ushers come forward right now with the Bibles. If you need a copy of the Bible, please just throw your hand in the air, and they'll give you a copy of the scriptures to use this morning. And go ahead and turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Proverbs. That's page 449 of the Bible that's being handed out to you right now. And again, we're going to be all over the place in this book, so have limber fingers or you can watch the screen behind me. If you are new here, i just kind of give you a heads up. Over the early part of the fall, we spent a decent amount of time verse by verse through chapters 1 through 9, uh, just chapters 1 through 9, looking at how King Solomon is writing to his son about pursuing wisdom. But now, where you've joined us is in the second half of the letter or the book where we're going through chapters 10 through 31, which are all of these uh, proverbial pithy sayings. And so rather than going verse by verse, we're tracing themes that are present throughout the whole book. And so today specifically, the theme is your work ethic. Now, nowhere in Proverbs is the concept of work ethic explicitly stated. It's implied, but the term work ethic is not going to be in there. So let's, let me define what work ethic is, and then we'll look for how it shows up in the book of Proverbs. A work ethic is this. It's a belief and work as a moral good. It's a set of values centered on the importance of doing work and reflected especially in a desire or determination to work hard. I find that uh, to be a fascinating set of definitions because those come from a secular dictionary from Merriam-Webster. And even a secular dictionary addresses the belief of work as a moral good. That's actually consistent with the teaching of Scripture. And so as we as Christians come to this topic and as we evaluate it, um, when we're looking at, well, what does it mean to be a faithful steward of a work ethic, we have to ask, well, what does God say about it? Because we've got to get on the same page as God. And so if you've got your little bulletin there at the top, the question we're seeking to answer is, well, what does God say about how I work or how you work? And perhaps a follow-up question is how I view work, how I even think about it. That's what we're seeking to uncover and unpack today. And this is an issue that touches every one of us. Now, as humans, 
we struggle with selfishness. And that selfishness affects every area of our life, including how you work and how you think about work. And we are in a world in a day and age where there are more ways than ever to waste time, to get distracted, to pursue things that are not as important. And so we need a biblical understanding of our work ethic. And so I hope that as we study this, as we open up God's word, that what you'll do is you'll allow God's word to evaluate you, that you'll look in the mirror of the word and say, what category do I fall into? Am I one who's diligent or am I one who's lazy, a sluggard, as we're about to hear? This is a topic for me that has been uh, very important in my spiritual journey. Uh, God has had to work a lot in this area of my life over the years. And so I hope it will be a blessing to you as well. Now, as I was studying for this morning, uh, there were a few themes that kind of arose, and I want to give those to you all up front. And so if you're someone who likes to fill in the blanks, and today is your day. It's like getting all the candy at once. You don't have to wait. We're not parceling it out. So here you go. The first theme that I observed as I was studying in the book was this, to pursue diligence and to cast off laziness. Pursue diligence and cast off laziness. And in keeping with the structure of the whole book of Proverbs, what we're going to see today is those who are wise seeking to instruct those who are foolish, those who are naive. And they're going to explain, here's what it looks like to have a godly work ethic. And then the second theme that I saw as I was studying was this. It's the idea that you will reap the fruit of your path. You will reap the fruit of your path. And if you've been here for any length of time as we've been in Proverbs, that one doesn't come as a surprise to you, right? That's something that Proverbs has hit over and over again. There are two ways to live, right? You can walk down the path of folly over here, and as you walk down that path, your choices will reap a certain kind of fruit. It'll be bad fruit. And where does that path end? Can anyone tell me? Death. Yeah, death. The path of folly leads to death. Then there's the other path over here on the right, or on your left, the path of wisdom, which as you walk down that path, the choices you make will bear good fruit. And where does that path take us? Life. Yeah, very good. And so you would expect, hopefully, that as you make choices and walk down a certain path with your work ethic, it's going to coincide with what we've already seen laid out. We'll get into that in just a little bit. The final theme that I saw actually comes from a much broader scope than Proverbs. So these are the things that are in Scripture that would have helped inform the writers of Proverbs. And here's what that theme is. Work as an act of worship. Work as an act of worship. And depending on how you hear that, depending on how I say it, you might interpret it differently. So let me explain what I'm saying here. Work in this sentence is the verb. It's the action that you're doing to worship our God. That's what we're called to do. Again, I'm going to unpack this as we go, but this is the three themes that I saw kind of rise to the top as I was preparing for today. So let's, let's get into it, right? Let's hear, what does God say about how you work or how I work? The first passage we're going to be in is in Proverbs 6, starting in verse 6. This is one we've heard before earlier in, in our study this fall. It's about the ant, and going to the ant and learning from him or her. So Proverbs 6, starting in verse 6, says this. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. 
How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little slumber, or a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Poverty will come on you like a robber and want like an armed bandit. So this part of... uh, The writing is in the first chapters of the book. This is where King Solomon is writing to his son, and he actually takes a break from addressing his son here to call out the sluggard, to issue a sharp rebuke to the sluggard. And so maybe we ought to define the term sluggard. What does that mean? A sluggard is someone who's characterized by slothfulness. And since that's not a word we use a whole lot anymore... A modern word would be laziness, someone who's characterized by laziness or idleness. They are a person who struggles with motivation. They don't want to get out of bed. They don't want to get moving in the morning. They're not wanting to be productive. They're known for laying around more than they're known for getting things done. That's a sluggard. And perhaps you're here this morning and you know such a person. Or maybe you're here and you are such a person, right? Consider the ant is what the wise king's rebuke is. If this is you, consider the ant, go to her and be wise. That's humiliating. The king is saying, you are a fool and you have lessons to learn from a tiny little ant. The ant can teach you wisdom. And so what we're going to do is we're going to see, okay, well, what, what, was, what wisdom can we glean from the ant? And if you're here and you know that you're someone who struggles with being idle or being lazy, then I would encourage you to listen up, right? This is for you. King Solomon is addressing you. And his observations here of the ant are this, that even without having a boss, someone who's telling her what to do, she's getting after it. She's working hard. She knows that this is necessary for her life, her well-being depend on her work. And not only that, but so do the rest of the colony. Ants work for the good of the colony, She's working hard for the benefit of others. And so she prepares her provisions ahead of time. When the season is right for preparing the food, she's on top of that. When it becomes the time to gather in the food, she's on top of that as well. No one is telling her what to do. She's self-motivated. And we hear that she's planning for the future. Some valuable lessons there for, for sluggards. Sluggards are selfish. Sluggards are not self-motivated. Sluggards fail to prepare and plan for the future. They rarely even take care of their present needs, let alone thinking about what's coming down the, the road in, a, in, the, in the future. Their laziness has uh, really big consequences, not just for them, but also for others, those who depend on them. Right here, we're talking about the ant, but imagine if the sluggard is someone who's in a position of leadership in their home. What if they're the provider for their home? What then? They're they're not bringing anything in. Who's that fall to then? Their spouse, their kids, right? Everyone who's underneath that person's care is affected by their laziness, by them being selfish. And so there are valuable lessons for a sluggard to take from a tiny little ant. And the king is rebuking him through some sharp questions here. And I don't know about you, but when I read those questions, I hear them in the sound of one of my parents' voice from my teenage years, right? How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Mom, is that you? 
<laughs> right? I'm incriminating myself, but uh, yeah, that was me when I was, a, when I was a kid. And maybe not those same words, but mom had to ask me about that. A sluggard is known for laying around, for being excessively sleepy. They're going nowhere fast. They're content to just lay, by, lay and watch the world pass them by. That's a sluggard. Now, you know, I try to make that a bit of a joke, but if you know someone who's a sluggard or if you are a sluggard, if you have someone in your family, in your workplace who's a sluggard, then you know it's not a laughing matter. If your spouse is a sluggard, that makes life hard. If you have a child who is a sluggard, there are things about that that are not pleasant or pleasing. If you work with someone who is a sluggard, that person probably irritates the fire out of you. Right? There are consequences for selfishness. This laziness, it destroys. It destroys relationships. Right? It destroys uh, opportunities in life. It, it kills fruitfulness. Again, this is not a laughing matter. Families are torn apart by laziness. So if you're here and you are a sluggard, please take this seriously. Please be willing to evaluate how you need to grow and change for your own sake and for the sake of those who look to you for their provision and for their care. The king's observation here is that the sluggard's behavior is a little sleep, a little slumber, a little of the folding of the hands to rest. Right? That's, that's how they act. That's how they live. They're not motivated. They're not getting out of bed. And what is the fruit from that path? He says, poverty comes upon them like a robber and want like an armed man. So the sluggard is inviting all sorts of disastrous consequences into their lives. By their inaction, they are left without resources and actually with unsatisfied desires, which is a bit ironic because the reason why a sluggard is the way they are is because they want comfort. They want ease. They are valuing something and they're pursuing that. But in their pursuit of that, they're going to have desires that are more important later on, that are more God-honoring, that are not met. They're valuing the immediate over the long haul and over what pleases the Lord. They're not thinking about how their actions affect themselves or others. There's a word for that. It's folly. Right? A fool takes steps down the path of folly without ever considering which path he's on or she's on and where it's leading them. So Solomon has strong words for this person. Consider the path. Wake up. Don't continue down it. The call from God is to pursue diligence and to cast off laziness. Pursue diligence and cast off laziness. This is a resounding theme throughout Proverbs. Let me show you a few of the passages that point this out. In Proverbs 12, verse 24, here's what it says. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Or just a few chapters later in Proverbs 18, verse 9, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Do either of those sound positive to you? For the sloth, for the lazy person? No, right? Let me show you one more. Proverbs 24, verses 30 to 34. I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was overgrown with thorns, 
The ground was covered with nettles, and a stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. None of these passages hold up laziness or slothfulness as something to pursue. Right? Each one demonstrates actually that slothfulness, being a sluggard or being slack in your work, they are not good things. Those who are diligent, we hear, are the ones that rise to the top. And those who are slothful and lazy, they sink to the bottom. Those who are slack in their work are like a brother to the one who destroys. Meaning, they're not a whole lot different. Laziness destroys things. When you see it in Proverbs 24, right, the, the observer looks on. What happened because that person was lazy? The vineyard was destroyed. Their walls were broken down. Weeds had overtaken it. There's effectively no difference between the lazy person and the one who destroys because by being lazy, by not taking care of their responsibilities, the vineyard produces no good fruit, right? The fruit has been destroyed. Now consider what happens when you change that analogy from a vineyard to a family. What happens when the family is what's being destroyed? Think about the good fruit that's not present when you've got a sluggard leading a marriage, leading uh, a family relationship, leading friendship relationships, right? There's unity that's being lost. There's discipleship opportunities that are no longer present. Uh, Frankly, your gospel witness to those around you is just extinguished. Those are some really high stakes when laziness runs amok. We have to see that. The stakes are high. So we've defined the term sluggard. Let's, let's go now and define the term diligence. What does it mean to be diligent? Diligence is conscientious, hard work, and perseverance, particularly with regard to a relationship with God. It's conscientious, hard work, and perseverance, particularly with regard to a relationship with God. And in the scriptures, diligence is highly commended. It's something you should pursue, something that you should desire. And a particular example of this in the book of Proverbs is the Proverbs 31 woman. I'm not going to go over the whole proverb today because I think we'll end up studying that in a lot more detail later this year. But here's what I want to do. I want to summarize what it's about and show you just a snippet of it. The Proverbs 31 woman is an excellent wife who is known for her diligence. She's working hard in many different areas of life. She's providing for everyone who's under her care. And I want to share with you just a couple of verses from that particular passage. It says in Proverbs 31, verses 15 to 18, She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Do you hear the different themes of diligence just woven in throughout this woman's life? Her hard work is evident. It's bearing good fruit. If you were to go ahead and read chapter 31, verse 27, it says, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. So there it is. She doesn't have anything to do with laziness, has nothing to do with being a sluggard. She's working hard. 
And so in many ways, this, this, this excellent wife is diligent and the fruit is evident. And in fact, at the end of the proverb, it says her husband commends her, her children commend her, uh, her works are even praised in the gates. The community has been blessed by her. So many people are thankful for her diligence, and she has a profound impact on the whole community. Do you see how different the fruit is? Depending on which path you pursue, whether you're pursuing being a diligent person or being a lazy sluggard, they produce radically different fruit. A person who's diligent works hard until the job is done. They take care of the needs at hand. And because of that, their work ethic is a blessing to others. People are glad that they're around. They're glad to know them. But a sluggard or a lazy person, they don't want to work at all. And even if they do seek to work, they don't finish the job. They value their comfort and their ease over pleasing God and loving others. And ultimately, a sluggard irritates those who they're around because their focus is on self. It's not on serving others. They make excuses for why they can't get the work done. So what I would encourage you to do, just take a moment and think about this, okay? Which one more closely defines you as you think about your work ethic, as you think about how you view work and how you actually do work? Are you a diligent one? Or are you someone who hates to work hard? Are you someone who longs for comfort and ease, even if it costs you and others something do you make excuses for why you can't do a particular task? Those are the things you need to evaluate. If, if the answer is yes to those questions, then there may be areas where you are a sluggard in your life. And let me show you some of the passages in Proverbs that point out these kinds of fruit. So in Proverbs 26, verses 13 to 16, here's what it says about the sluggard. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. Or as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard on his bed. Or a sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but it's too wearisome for them to bring it back up to the mouth. And then lastly, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. As you think through that, as you listen to that, do you hear the excuses? There's a lion out there. I can't go outside and work. I'll get eaten. Come on, really? That is not true. And we have seen uh, the same struggle in our own home. Uh, one of our daughters is like this, where they have very extravagant excuses when you ask them to work hard. Like all of a sudden, oh, my neck hurts me. Oh, my knee hurts me. Like we call her our geriatric child um, because <laughs> one second she's playing and having a, a blast, and then the next second you ask her to work hard, and suddenly uh, everything's falling apart, and I can't get up. Like, really? I don't think so. And not to point fingers at my own children, I mean, we've all done this, right? We've all made excuses. That's what a slugger does. Well, go back to the passage. Look at this. Do you observe the behavior here? A sluggard, it's like a door on their hinges, right? They're just turning over and over again on their bed. So the alarm goes off, I roll over, I hit snooze. Roll back over and go back to sleep. Ten minutes later, roll over again, silence the alarm, roll back over. You get the idea. That's the behavior of a sluggard. Look at also how they start something, but they don't finish it. And it's a pretty extravagant example, but they bury their hand in the dish, they're in the middle of feeding themselves, and they decide, 
that's too much work. I can't do it. I'm not going to bring my, my hand back to my mouth and feed me. Right? They don't complete a task. And then at the very end, there's the irony of how they evaluate themselves. If you ask a sluggard, they're wise. They know what's right and you do not. They're not willing to listen. They're blinded by pride, which is clearly a dangerous place to be. This is a good example of why we need to give people license to speak into our lives. We need to invite brothers and sisters in Christ to hold us accountable to walk down the path of wisdom. We need those people in our lives. And you know what I'm going to say next, right? At our church, a great place for that is small groups, right? That's where we can have that more intimate community uh, where you can open up with some brothers and sisters in Christ and, and let them into your life to speak truth to you in times of need. Well, I mentioned earlier, another repeated theme of God through this book is you will reap the fruit of your path. You will reap the fruit of your path. That is something that's been made very clear through Proverbs. And the same is true with your work ethic. So let me show you how he points that out in this area of our lives. In Proverbs 10, it says this, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Do you see the correlation there? If you're lazy, what should you expect? The fruit that you're going to reap is going to be poverty. It's going to be want. Your needs will not be met. If you're diligent, you can expect good provision in your life. We're told if you plan ahead, that brings wisdom. You are declared prudent and wise. It's good fruit. But if you sleep, if you fail to plan ahead, then what kind of fruit do you reap? Shame for yourself and for those who are depending on you. Just a little bit later in the same chapter, in uh, verse 26, it says, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the slugger to those who send him. Sluggards don't have a whole lot of friends in their lives because they're selfish people. And frankly, we don't normally like to be around selfish people, do we? They irritate us. That's what's being described here. Bad fruit. A few chapters later in Proverbs 14, it says this in verse 23, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. And so, again, we hear the wise king connecting the value of hard work with the profit or the fruit that it brings. And the choice to, to stand around and to not work, but instead to just gab and not get it done, uh, that brings poverty. So a fool is someone who's lazy, someone who's wasting time in the workforce. Uh, they're standing at the water cooler, they're just jabbering away when they ought to be you know, at their desk or doing whatever it is that they ought to be doing. And... Uh, that's something that I have had to learn firsthand. I struggled with that a lot, both as a child and all the way into my college years, of just talking too much, not knowing when to be quiet. And there were many days, especially in middle school and those years, where I would be in the corner of a classroom by myself with the desk facing in the corner because I didn't know when to stop talking and when to, to allow the rest of the things to be productive and to keep going on. And that's pretty embarrassing, especially when... That still was happening my senior year at Purdue University. Uh, not that I got put in the corner, but I did have a professor pull me aside and say, you need to be quiet in class when I'm teaching. Um, and I realized the irony now that I'm in a position where I talk for a living. So <laughs> um, the difference now is that my words are meant to honor God. They're, they're hard work, 
rather than being self-focused. And so I would encourage you as you're thinking about this, what are your words producing? Who are you worshiping through your speech? Are you a hard worker at work or in the home, wherever you're working? And sure, nowadays it may not be that we're gabbing around the water cooler at work. It may be that you're wasting time on your phone, on your computer, surfing social media, sending text messages, you know, whatever it is, are you working hard or are you wasting time? And I do think it's interesting how the Proverbs link hard work with the reward of hard work and laziness with the poverty that comes. Because in our sin-cursed world, do we always see those who are diligent reaping riches? And I believe the answer from our experience is no. It doesn't always work that way. So what does God mean when he says the hand of the diligent makes rich? In chapter 10, verse 4. You have to know what comes the verse prior to that. In chapter 10, verse 3. Here's what it says. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. You see, it's God who's ultimately the one who's providing for those who follow him. He is pleased as we seek to honor him in our work ethic, and then he provides for us. So rather than falling into the trap of saying, well, I'm just going to put in long hours, I'm going to work hard, and and thereby I'm going to be rich, I'm going to be wealthy, rather than thinking that way, think like this. Well, if I work hard, if I seek to please the Lord in my work ethic, then I know that he'll take care of me. He'll provide for my needs. Proverbs actually warns about having the wrong motive for our work. Listen to this in Proverbs 23, verse 4. It says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. So as we labor, it should be an act of worship. It should be labor for the Lord. And yes, I mean, we should be paid for our labor. That's, I mean, necessary for us to live, right? But this is not the goal. It's not to pile up treasures on this earth. Our labor is an act of worship. It's not just about how we work. We should be hard workers, but it's also about why we work. We work as an act of worship to God. And that's our third point today, work as an act of worship. And this is where our study takes us uh, much broader than the book of Proverbs. If we're going to understand that, we have to go back to the beginning. And so again, I'm taking us to Genesis 1. So if you want to flip into the first pages of your Bible, go ahead and turn there to Genesis 1. In verses 28 and 31 of this first chapter, here's what God says. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. That was God's declaration after having observed all that he had made and specifically on day six he made man and woman in his image and he had given them the job of filling the earth subduing it and having dominion over it and if we weren't sure what he was talking about we can go one chapter over to chapter two verse 15 we see this the lord god took the man and put him in the garden of eden to work it and keep it what you're hearing is that god created humans to work It is good for us to work, to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. That's part of God's creation. That's how we reflect his image. Our God is a God who works. He worked when he made this world. That's why he cares about how you work. 
Because if you're lazy, then you're sinning against him. You're disobeying his creation mandate for you to work hard. And you're reflecting an inaccurate picture of him. Right? We are God's image bearers. That's our job as humans. We want to reflect as accurate of a picture of God as we can. And our God is not a lazy God. So we should not be lazy image bearers. So if you're here this morning and you have the mindset that, man, work is bad. I wish I didn't have to work. I don't want to work another day in my life. You are at odds with your creator who has said, no, work is very good. And yes, we do know, right? Genesis 3 is a reality. Sin has entered this world. Work is a lot harder than it ever was at the beginning. That's what Genesis 3 tells us. It's by the toil of our brow that we're going to work the ground. It was supposed to just be fruitful, bountiful labor that we enjoyed. But because of sin, because of our choice to rebel, now it produces thorns and thistles. Now it's not easy. Now it is toilsome and And frankly, we struggle with our attitudes. But that is a result of our sin because we departed from righteousness. But we can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Just because work is hard doesn't mean we say, I don't want to do it. I'm done with work. That's not how it it happens. Work is still a God-given responsibility that he holds us accountable to, which is why we're called to be good stewards of our work ethic. Now, you might be interested to know this. This is not just what is in the first part of the Bible. If you go all the way into the New Testament, you're going to see Jesus Christ also upholding a similar teaching. In Matthew 25, we find the parable of the talents. And if you're not familiar with this parable, let me give you the quick summary. There are three different servants in this parable. Each one of them has been given a certain amount of money by their master. The master is getting ready to go away on a long journey, and he tells each servant, hey, here's the money I'm giving you. Steward it well doesn't tell him when he's coming back. They just got to be faithful while he's gone. And if you know the story, uh, two of those three servants are indeed faithful. They do work hard. They do increase what their master had given them. And when he comes back, they present to him what they'd made on top of what he had given them. And he commends those servants for their hard work. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. They were good stewards. They had a good work ethic. It produced good fruit, and the master was pleased when he came back. The third servant, however, had a wrong view of the master. And because of that view of the master, he decided he wasn't going to work. He was just going to bury that money in the ground and just wait, sit on it. Here's what happens when that master comes back. It's in Matthew 25, verses 26 to 30. His master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Hear the words that he's using there? You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a hard teaching. I mean, did you hear how the master addresses that servant, that third servant? 
wicked and slothful, right? That servant was a sluggard. They were lazy. They had a wrong view of the master that led them to live their lives in a very unwise, foolish way. Do you know who the master is in this parable? Jesus is the one telling the story. He's actually teaching that this is God. God is the master. We are the servants. We have been entrusted with our time, our talent, our treasures. Everything that we have is from God. It's his. We're just stewards of it. And in our life, we're called to be faithful stewards, good stewards, who increase, who bear good fruit based on what he's given us. To do anything less, as we've heard, is wicked and slothful. It's a tough lesson. I mean, even the, the, the fallout, the results of that are a very tough lesson. So the question you need to be asking yourself is, which kind of steward am I? Are you faithful? Are you a hard worker? Or are you the wicked, slothful servant? Remember, work as an act of worship. That's what we're talking about. We are created to work. We're created to worship our God through our work. And we even hear it again in another passage in the New Testament, in Colossians 3. It says, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This is telling us that whether you like it or not, your work is an act of worship. And who or what are you worshiping? You're called to worship Christ through your work. The way you view it, the way that you actually do it, should proclaim the glories of God. The only way that you can do that is through knowing God. And the only way that you can know God is through knowing his Savior, his Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior that he sent for us. Apart from that, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him as Lord, you won't want to work for God, nor can you work for God. See, the Bible tells us that outside of faith in Christ, we're dead in our sin. We have no desire to live for him. We don't want to worship him. But thankfully, that's not where the Bible stops. It tells us that there is a hope, there is a way to be made new, right? Even though we are dead in our sin, he has made a way for us to be made alive in Christ, let me share with you from Ephesians 2 where it says a little bit about that. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Your works can't save you. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't be a good enough person. But God has a way for you. God has offered salvation through faith in Christ. And it's a gift that is freely given. Will you accept that gift? Will you bow the knee and confess that you are a sinner in need of a savior? Will you choose to follow him? If you do that, then you have a new life then you can work for him. Your work can be worship unto the Lord. And we hear here, right? God has created you in Christ Jesus for good works. He's got works for you to do, but you gotta know him to be able to do them. And if you're here this morning and you feel like, man, I've tried life on my own and it's not worked out, it's been hard, or maybe you're here and uh, you are the sluggard, you know that you are not motivated, you struggle to work, especially unto the Lord, then I want you to consider this. Going back to Proverbs, Proverbs 15, verse 19, 
tells us the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Why do you think that is? It's because God, the one who made all things, has set it up so that if we pursue sin, if we pursue folly, it's going to be hard. That's actually loving of him to do that. He wants you to realize this is not the way you ought to go. It doesn't produce good fruit. Turn from it and turn to the way of wisdom. The path of the upright is a level path. Doesn't mean that it's free from trials or tribulations, but it does mean that God will care for you and he will be with you in the midst of those trials and tribulations. In Proverbs 16, verse three, it says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. And just a couple of verses later, it says, the heart of a man plans his ways but the Lord establishes his steps. So know if you're the upright, you're not gonna be free from suffering, you're not gonna be free from tribulation, but God will be with you and he will be for you in the midst of all of that. And that's what makes the way of the upright level. If God is with you, who can stand against you? Right, the answer is no one and nothing, amen. And I want to make sure as we close out to point out that not only did, in God's beautiful design, did he establish the principle of hard work, he also established the principle of rest. If you're familiar with how Genesis plays out in the very beginning, right, there's the six days of work, and then on day seven, God rests. And that's not because he got tired or because he needed a break. It's because he was establishing a pattern for creation. And it does not honor God when we break that pattern. Just as we are to work as an act of worship, you should also learn to rest as an act of worship. Right? God does not need you to work seven days a week in order to keep the world spinning. The world is doing just fine with him on the throne. He works six days and rests on the seventh. So too should you. You should rest. It's a biblical principle. One day a week as a statement of your faith that God will hold everything together. Now this is a lot different than laziness, right? Laziness is all about me what I can do, or don't want to do, rather. But rest is trusting in him, that he's holding the world together, and I don't have to. So learn to rest well. And as we close out our time together, uh, there were a lot of other Proverbs that we didn't cover, so I want to give a little visual here to kind of differentiate, again, the difference between the sluggard and the diligent. Uh, so the sluggard, someone that makes excuses, Right? There's someone that has a lot, lot of desires, a lot of things they want, but they're not willing to put the effort in to pursue them. They sleep a lot, frankly. <laughs> they fail to plan ahead. They're not thinking about the future. They're idle. They spend a lot of time talking, not a lot of time working. They get distracted with worthless pursuits. I could have added another hour onto the sermon telling you about all the ways that I had to learn that one the hard way in my life. And they're also irritating to others. This is a far cry from the one who's diligent. They are a person that plans ahead. They're preparing for the future. They're in a position because of all of that to be generous to others, to bless others. They're open-eyed. They're aware of what's happening around them. So they're engaged in life. They work hard. They're toiling. And they're focusing on mission. Which one are you? Hopefully we would say, I want to be in that category. I want to be the diligent. I don't want to be a sluggard. Don't want to be lazy. So as we close, let's, let's just ask the Lord to help us to grow in this. So would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord Jesus, uh, we just come before you right now, and we're thankful again for your word. 
and just for the truth that it contains and the ways that it teaches us on how to live. But first, we have to just admit and confess, Lord, that apart from you, this stuff, I mean, it's meaningless. You are the point of the scriptures, and we want to get our framework, our our lives oriented around you. Lord, it's not just about putting into practice these principles. It's about worshiping you, the God who is and the God who is with us. And so as we pray uh, this afternoon, as we get ready to head out into the rest of the week, Lord, we do ask that you would help us to evaluate what our life looks like. Are we the diligent person or are we the lazy person? Are there ways that we need to cast off laziness and pursue diligence in its place? Help us to stop and evaluate what kind of fruit we've been bearing through our work. Is it good or is it gross? And Lord, help us above all to want to worship you. So Lord, for those who are in the room who are Christians, I pray, Lord, that they would be thinking through, what does this look like for me? How do I take the next step of being a good steward of my work ethic? I pray that as we do that, it would be a tremendous blessing to others, our family, our friends, our coworkers, that we would just shine you to the world around us. And for those who are here who are wrestling with what they believe, who are trying to figure this all out, I pray that they would see, like, man, the way I've been going, it's not been easy, it's not been good, I really don't enjoy it. And they would consider the things we've talked about today, that you have provided a a different way, a better way, and that they would be willing to pursue that through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's stand together and sing praises to our great God, shall we?